I'm Shannon. And I'm Lisa. And you're listening to Black Tivities, a celebration of all things Black. Black culture, Black history, Black perspectives, and Black panache. Celebrating our Blackness doesn't mean exclusion. Everybody's invited, but you got to come in and have a seat. So let, let the Black Tivities begin. Hello and welcome to Black Tivities. This is our Black Health episode. I am Shannon and my co-host is the lovely Mona Lisa. Yo, yo. And we have some guests here today, uh, Bella and IB. They are founders of Black Fit Love and they are owners of the Fitted Network of Wellness. Welcome, guys. Can y'all tell us a little bit about what y'all do for the people? Hey, hey. What's up? What's up? What's going on, y'all? Thank you for having us. Um, we are honored and we appreciate you, you know, asking us to join to talk about black health um, because that's something that we are passionate about. We are um, owners of Fitted Network of Wellness, and we also own a weight loss firm by the name of Fitted University, and we help busy professionals lose weight with ease and keep it off forever without giving up the foods that you love or spending hours at the gym. That's what we do. That's what we do. So welcome, guys. Welcome. I'm glad to have some professionals on here. Let me share a little story with you guys. This episode is about uh, black health. And um, I'm going to share this story with y'all, and I just want to get y'all opinion on this. But So I used to be 300 pounds. Um, I did get uh, some surgery to assist me. It was a tool, the gastric bypass, and I ended up losing 160 pounds. In that little period, I was big on making sure I was setting great examples for my children because I didn't want them to go through the same thing that I went through. So I was like, you know what? If I'm going to go running, I'm taking them with me. And for a while, we did that. Uh, Obviously, life changes. Things happen to where I kind of got away from being active and being healthy. And I kind of fell off. When I moved from New York back to Georgia, I decided I got to pick up the pieces. I had gained a little weight. I was like, okay, I got to, you know, get back on the ball. So I was looked at my children. I said, you know what? We're going to go walking and then we're going to go running. And they was like, really? It's been a while. I was like, we can do this. We got this. So we get the going down shoe guard. Shoe guard, for the people that don't know, this is a little street that we have here in Dalton, Georgia. We're doing good. We're walking. We're running, walking, running, you know. Then all of a sudden, my chest started hurting. And I was like, okay, hold on. But I got to be big and bad because my kids right here, right? Like, can't show them that I'm hurting, right? So all of a sudden, I just can't breathe. I just laid down on the sidewalk. I know the car is driving, but I know they were looking like, what in the world's going on? My kids are like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. So my oldest at the time, she uh, she was 17 at the time. She went running back to go get the car to, you know, come pick me up because I couldn't go back. But I was just sitting there like... I'm finna die, y'all. <laughs> I can't breathe. I'm finna die. <laughs> I'm finna die. My kids finna see me go out. I'm finna go. I'm finna go. At least God know my heart. I was trying to teach them something. You know what I'm saying? Like something positive. Like you got to exercise. But I damn near died on shoe guard, y'all. <laughs> that is very important to me. 
to making sure I'm setting a good example. And even though it's hard growing up, I didn't have someone talking to me about exercising. I didn't have anyone talking to me about the importance of eating healthy, breaking down calories and how to read and exactly like read that label that's on the back of all of this food that we do buy, um, processed food that we do buy that isn't good for us. We're built and we're taught on cooking unhealthy shit. So that's something that I did try to change when it came to my children. Even now, like people are surprised because my 17 year old baby, she makes the best Brussels sprouts, sauteed Brussels sprouts. Oh my God. So it all comes from when, how you grow up. And unfortunately, not all of us, especially the black community, we get that to where we're taught health. Agreed. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I almost died. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that I almost died, but I'm here to be with you guys today. <laughs> I was about to say you listen, you you lived you lived to breathe another day. There we so go. We, <laughs> I'm putting that on the shirt. Yeah, I mean. So so we we here now. Um the beautiful part is just the idea that you you are being proactive, especially with your kids. And there's one thing that you mentioned that I think that in the black community we don't give enough clout for us to even be able to move forward and change. And that's the idea that you understand that. Your the the way you move right now and the decisions that you make made today were a result of what you were taught, not this resistant idea or excuse. Let's just call it what it is that right, right, right. is genetically inclined. You know what I'm saying? So in the black community, that is um, well, we haven't gotten to this part yet, but that is a myth. The idea that we were born to be this way, we were born to be fat, we were born to be overweight, we were born to be uh, uh, unhealthy. It's in our genetics. Hold, hold that thought, IB. Okay, for sure. I'm going to transition real quick to sex facts and we'll talk about why we think those things. For sure. Our African ancestors already had their own native foods and recipes when they were brought to America during the slave trade. You know, because we had our own civilizations and cultures in Africa. Some enslavers even took some of the native African crops with them that the slaves planted when they got to America. Rice, okra, pork, and greens were staples in their recipes. Slaves were pretty much given scraps, undesirable parts of meat, and some starches like rice, sweet potatoes, cornmeal, and a little bit of molasses. No veggies, no dairy, no fruit. So black folks did what we always do. They said, you can kiss my black panache, sprinkled that thing on it and created a feast. We grew our own veggies. We took them pig parts and made ribs, chitlins, pig feet, fat back, ham hocks and hog maws. We developed seasoning combos to make it all taste better. We boiled them greens and pork fat and soaked up all the juices with our cornbread, which is how they used to do it in the motherland. We seasoned the meat with hot red peppers and vinegar, the base of the barbecue sauce that we and white folks alike love to this day. You know we find any excuse for a cookout now. It is said that meat curing techniques came from our ancestors. We turned their trash into what would become comfort food 
and defined Southern cuisine. We continued eating these things after slavery because most of us still couldn't afford the best cuts of meat. And it became a cultural thing during Reconstruction as we celebrated in our churches every week. The Great Migration, when lots of black folks moved out of the South, caused those foods to be enjoyed by people all over the country and began to mesh with other cultural foods when people started putting their own spin on it. The term soul food was spawned in the 1960s. But here's the problem. Those comfort foods are often cooked with things that are not the healthiest. These culinary traditions, lack of access to buy or the money to pay for healthier food options has led to health issues in the black community and is part of the reason for generation after generation of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, and other diseases running in a lot of our families today. And that's Sachs Facts. As black people, what do you guys think should be our main focus when it comes to being healthy? Mental health. Yes, mental health is a part of it, but simply, uh, even more simple than that, weight management. Mm-hmm. Weight management should be our number one priority. And 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 here here's why we like to say bring the data, not the drama, right? So um, even in our uh, plight to like try to figure out what route we should take when it comes to our health and helping people, we realize that the number one way we can do that, help people be healthier, is by losing weight and weight management. It's as simple as that. Uh, studies show that 10 percent, every 10 percent of weight that you lose drastically increases uh, your aesthetics and your appearance and your confidence. It drastically decreases your risk for chronic right, disease. Man, say it again. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> so um, that is the that is the number one. And it also drastically de- decreases the consequence that comes along with chronic disease. So what I mean by that is this someone that has heart disease. If you were to lower your weight, it drastically increases your chances of survival if you were to have a heart attack. The number one way to be healthier is through weight management. The stats show that. The data shows that. So I think that we need to hold more value in that when it comes to our community. So weight management is the number one and easiest approach to take. I think the reason why I said mental health first is because I feel like that's the starting point when it comes to, like you said, weight management and just you know, keeping up with yourself. Cause I'm going to be honest with you personally, mentally. I mean, I have issues just like anyone else. And with those issues, the feelings and possibly depression, it calls me to eat. It calls me to do things that, you know, aren't healthy, which contribute to me gaining weight and not, you know, presenting the right example to my children. So that's why I want to go with mental health first, because obviously we know that mental health among the black community, especially black men, is something that is just like not talked about often or not taken seriously. I hear you guys say all the time that you're not going to lose the weight if you're not in the right mental space. And I've experienced that personally. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Mental space is a big deal. Because whatever you believe is your reality. 
So if you start telling yourself every morning when you're looking in the mirror that you hate the way you look, that you can't, it's hard to do to lose weight, that, you know, you're supposed to be big because your mom is and your aunties are, that you are, you know, inclined to this unhealthy space that you're in, then no matter what you do, you're not going to get there. Um, so <laughs> funny story is we haven't played with an Oculus. And yesterday our friend had an Oculus. And when you, when you put the, the eye things on your whole reality, it changes. And so whatever you think is kind of like your Oculus. Mm-hmm. When you put your Oculus on, you will see what you feel like is going to be the space where you would like to be. Um, and so it's you can't change anything from a, outside of you. You can only change it from the inside. And so from the inside out, it's easy. The body responds to whatever that it feels like mentally is it's there. But again, you can't you can't change it from the other side. So I know a lot of a lot of people when they go to try to change something, it's like, what can I what can I buy? What product can I put on my skin? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I get a BBL? Can I get a you Come know all soul. those things? Right, and then what happens is what you're gonna do. You're gonna go back to eating, thinking, doing the same things, and then be upset like. Why didn't this change? But change happens in your perception of what your life is and, and what it's going to be in. And so, yeah, w- both of those things is, are what we do mostly is we got you on the change. It'll happen. But do you believe it? Do you see it? Do you understand what kind of things that you want in your life? You know, all those things are really, really important. And um, we, we also have a saying. So so actually, Mona, you, you are you are cor- correct, you know, um, Definitely uh, to to a certain extent, because we actually even said in our program that um, you most people are stuck, not because of what they do, but because of what and how they think. Most people are stuck, not because of what they do, but because of how and what they think. So um, uh, to a certain extent, you are definitely correct when it comes to uh, mental health and um, your mindset and the way that you think dictating your your health and where your what steps you will take um to be, uh, improve your health. Yeah, I actually before I started working with you guys, I um fell into like big stressful times and then I started eating and gaining stress weight and then I would look at myself in the mirror and not recognize who I was and then that would make me more depressed. And then I'll go eat some more and feel bad. And it was like a whole cycle. Oh, I'm going to start using that stress mm-hmm. weight. Stress weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one. That's it great is. One. Um, that's what um, IB and uh, another one of our partners in our network were talking about on Thursdays. They have a, a live discussion. And so they were kind of looking up some things about how it's. What did you guys say? It's a cycle. Yeah, it's a cycle, but it's trauma. Mm-hmm. Trauma. Because yeah. what happens is we have people who talk to us and they tell us stuff like, I don't really eat that much. And you're like, okay, well, how did you get to be 300 pounds? What do you mean? Because the only thing that we know is that energy intake is how you are going to multiply your fat cells. 
If you don't eat, you're not going to gain weight. So what do you mean by that? When we start digging and digging and digging, it's an idea they're totally disassociated with how much they ate, how frequently they ate. That's like gone in their mind because of a traumatic event. So what did you call it? It's called cognitive disassociation. Mm. Cognitive disassociation. So, so you disassociate because of trauma. You know what I'm saying? So um, so a lot of times uh, food, uh, again, even in our community, is associated with trauma. So uh, there are things that you're going through and you use food to cope. So because it is a form of a coping mechanism or you associate it with trauma, you then disassociate from reality. Uh, simply because you, um, you, you forget. It's almost like, it's almost like, uh, when let's, let's use an extreme situation, like in the case of like rape or something like that. A lot of times it's difficult for someone that has gone through rape when you're asking them what happened. It's literally like they forgot. They know that something happened, but it's difficult for them to tell the details. And in many situations, they, they block it out. They block out the details so it's difficult to get out of them exactly what happened because of cognitive disassociation. They've disassociated from the event. So because we use food as a way to cope with our traumas, we disassociate from the reality that you're still eating too much. You know what I'm saying? Because they don't think that they are because they've disassociated from the event of I was stressed. So I ate 3000 calories in one sitting. They completely forget that. Mm-hmm. All right, because they want to forget the trauma. They want to forget the trauma as a whole, and the food is a part of the trauma. And the food is really like, um, because it's so available all the time, you don't even have to go anywhere. You can order it. I mean, it's always in your face. Um, and you really use it as a vacation. I want to take a mental vacation. I don't want to be here. I don't want to look like this. I don't want to have these feelings or these thoughts. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap out. And um, mm-hmm. I would experience this, and the only way like we've developed our program is because of what we've experienced. And I would literally eat, black out, like I wouldn't remember anything. I would just be in my own world, and then I would snap out of it when I get like physical pain. Mm-hmm. If my stomach was really, really hurting, or I was actually feeling the inflammation come up in my in my neck and in my in my eyeballs and in my in my body, my stomach hurt. You know what I mean? I started feeling like I was paralyzing myself. So I couldn't do anything but sleep afterwards. That's how much I ate or that's how much I did. I, I was inactive. Um, so that's happened. That happens and, and we completely understand that you seeing yourself in the mirror after you just did that is more trauma. So you just start compounding the trauma of now I got to go to a family reunion, but I look like this trauma. Now I got to go on an airplane. We have a client that went on the airplane and the stewardess asked her if she wanted a, an extra purchase connection or to purchase another seat. Cause she was too big. This in front of everybody, more trauma. So you start going through these things and, and our history of being, um, you know, Brown people, there's a lot of trauma in there that people use food for. So we completely understand that. But we take we teach you how to come out of that. I want to share this with y'all. Um, I know this is very dangerous, but when you was talking about you know overweight people flying, um, there when I was overweight, there was a situation where I was flying, and for that embarrassment alone, um, I didn't want to ask for an extended seatbelt. 
and I end up flying with just holding it. And I know that that is very bad. That's very bad. God forbid. Thank God nothing happened. But it's just like that feeling that when you when you are overweight, how you're felt or the embarrassment that you do receive sometimes is it's it kind of hinders the way that you are thinking. So instead of you actually just taking it head on face to face, you know, the issue face to face, you just eat more or you just ignore it or you just find food or find something to pacify the way you're feeling. Even growing up as a kid, um, being overweight, even though my mom didn't know she worked a lot, but there were adults that were around me that made me feel some type of way. They treated me differently because I was overweight. And again, there was nobody talking to me about exercising. And if there was, they were mean about it. So that's another thing where you grow up to where, again, you don't have the knowledge, but it's still that trauma is building, compounding, like you said, to where it's even worse when you're an adult. And then time you you know become that adult, it's, it's so much to to unravel that is it's hard to even find the motivation to get to that point to where you are officially healthy. For sure. Guys, what myths or beliefs do you think the black community has about health and eating? Ginger ale heals it all. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Ginger ale and saltine crackers. Saltine right? crackers. <laughs> right. right. And tussin. <laughs> fall down the steps and break your ankle your granny rub tussing on your ankle (laughs) and go lay down yeah and go lay down you bust your head open if y'all fall and bust your head open what do they tell y'all the first thing they say don't go to sleep black community get in there and lay down take some drinks of water go lay down (laughs) (laughs) now that that ginger ale a big one for sure (laughs) to to, to this day even, uh, even pops uh, mm-hmm. Shannon, your your daddy, his stomach hurt. That, way, that man gonna grab that ginger ale. <laughs> man gonna grab that ginger ale. Well, yeah, that that that's definitely that, that it's a it's a funny one, but that's definitely still a a a myth mm-hmm. of today. Because your stomach hurt, but then you go grab more sugar, carbonated sugar. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? So I don't that's definitely I, I'm, a myth. I'm not listening. Ginger ale heals all. But go ahead. <laughs> Right. But, but look, the mind is a powerful thing. So look, <laughs> like about mental health. If you if yeah. you think it, then so it shall be. <laughs> I think another myth is this thing that um, when you get older as a woman, that you're supposed to be thick. Like thick is a thing. Like thick mm-hmm. isn't really a real thing. It's like somebody made up that title because they just were tired of feeling bad about being bigger. Mm-hmm. Like now it's like a prideful, like I'm I'm just thick. Mm-hmm. No. Here, here. Like big bones. Here, big you bone. right, I'm about to say that, that that's the that's probably the biggest one. I'm supposed I'm, to be big I'm bone. I'm big bone. Like my mm-hmm. my family, all my yeah. family and my family's big bones. For everybody out there listening, big bones don't exist. If you decomposed right now, it don't matter if you're 400 pounds or 140 pounds. Once all that flesh decomposes, your bones are pretty much the same size. Now they mm-hmm. vary in density and in length, right? right? So mm-hmm. shack bone is gonna be longer than mine, but you know, the, as far as the girth and the size of them is not gonna be that much difference when it comes to weight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Shaq's bones don't play a big role in how much he weighs. They just support all right. of his weight. Right. You get what I'm saying? But his bones don't weigh 400 pounds. Right. And another thing, too, to kind of reverse what y'all talking about is 
when people are smaller, they're made feel bad because they are smaller. For instance, my oldest, when she, um, before she left and went to college, you know, she, she was slim. She was about 145. Um, my children are very athletic. They play sports. But when COVID hit, she did gain a little weight to where she was thicker. And then when she left and went to college, now keep in mind, she's on her own now. She has, you know, she has her own place and she's a college student and she works. So she's not going to be able to be at home and eat on a regular basis where I could feed her three times a day. And all that. So she lost weight. And whenever she would come home, even to this day, people are like, she's losing too much weight. Something going on with her. And I'm like, she she's is sick. a... Yeah, she's sick. Something wrong with her. She's sick. And, and then they, is she on right. drugs? No, she ain't on drugs. Like, <laughs> right, right. How about this? <laughs> she has a 3.9 grade point average. She has passed all her classes. If she on drugs, let her be. Because the goal is for her to pass and right. graduate college. So if she's snorting coke, let her snort coke for right now. Because <laughs> she got all right. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Alex, if you want drugs, I'll be fast. But um, it, it is. It's just no matter what. It's like there is no median among like the African-American community for it's healthy. Because even if you are in shape, they will still find something wrong with you. Yeah. Um, especially with females. If you are in shape, oh, she's too muscular. Or she's too right. lean. Or she don't have no booty. And then if you are super chunky, <laughs> there are some people that don't feel the fupa. <laughs> Team Fupa, you stand up. We Fupa friendly over here. Friendly. <laughs> yes. Team Fupa, stand up. But it, it is, it's just with us, it's just, it's, we're harder on, on ourselves. We really are. So, yeah, so that, that, that attests to the trauma that we were talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Another form of self, self-inflicted trauma. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, a testament to your example is, is, is that as well. That's another reason why in our community, it's so difficult for, us to want to move forward because in let's say you know in the white communities when people are you know losing weight and things like that they go in front of their family and it's like commendable wow you look great so and so like you've been working out you've been eating well okay what have you been doing let me in on it i would like to that's that's the reception that they get for prioritizing their, their health where us we come to the cookout if we've been you know, um, focusing on our health or losing weight, you the laughing stock of the cookout. That's oh, right. what's so and so doing? Oh, she must be sick. You know what I mean? Um, oh, then oh, then she oh, she thinks she better than he think he better than me, huh? Just cause you got some muscles don't mean uh-huh. now you the laughing stock and you the you the outsider. We've actually experienced that. You become the outsider because you are prioritizing your right. health. Now it, it, it becomes a point where when you're into it, you're uppity. right, right. You're uppity. You know what I mean? Like I'm the same person, bro. Right? Right. I just, you know what I mean? I just I decided just to prioritize my health. I'm, <laughs> right. I'm still the same funny guy. The same, you know what I mean? I still, I, was, I still like the party. You get what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, that's another, that's another form of self-inflicted trauma and why it's difficult for us to move forward in our community. Yo, this conversation is just getting heated. So we're going to pause right there and come back next week with part two. I know you don't want to miss it. So make sure that you hit that check and subscribe on your iPhone so you can just wake up Thursday morning and bam, it's right there in your Apple podcast library or library, as some of our folks might say. You can also follow us on the gram. We are at Blacktivities Pod. 
We'll be here next Thursday and pick up this conversation where we left off talking about the black health myths. But until then, kings and queens, keep doing big tings.